Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi guys, welcome to Heavy Metal Tones. Um, this week's episode is quite an interesting one. Um, if you hear my voice being a bit odd and funny, I am recovering from the COVID. I caught it at work, I think. Um, I'm in lockdown for another four days or so. My wife has now caught it as well. Um, it's really horrible. I'm going to say this out now. I know there might be some people out there listening thinking it's just a cold. I know I'm an old man and so my system is weaker. And I got my booster back in September last year, so I think that doesn't help. It is really horrible. The headaches were uh, chronic. I mean, really, really chronic. And I'm a migraine sufferer, so I know what headaches are about. Anyway, so if you hear me sniffling and don't sound myself, uh, I've got a sexy, gravelly voice, it's because I've had the COVID. Now, this week's episode is interesting. So two parts. In part one... Um, a little history lesson in part two, a music appreciation lesson. Um, so, uh, if any of you are wary, aware of the fantastic Iron Maiden album that came out a few years ago, Book of Souls, that it had a ending epic, probably one of, if not, I would say, the greatest Maiden epic of the modern era. And I would say modern era, I'm talking about post-2000, um, in Empire of the Clouds. I desperately want that on the picture disc 10 inch that came out on Music uh, Record Store Day. I missed out. Someone nabbed the only copy uh, in front of me, so I didn't get it. Anyone out there? Oh, scratch the beard, isn't it? ASMR. Anyone out there who um, has a copy and wants to give it away, wants to sell it to me, you know where to contact me. Heavymetaltones at gmail.com. That's heavymetaltones at gmail.com. Anyway, so. Empire of the Clouds. If you're not sure, I don't know what it's about. It's about the airship race of 1929. So in 1929, um, picture it. It's the not the birth of aviation, no, by no means, but it's the infancy of aviation. And um, the the British Empire, the British government, the um, air ministry wanted to build a a form of transport that could take its 
civil servants and public servants and it's high you know it's swanky upper class elite all the way to the four corners of the empire mainly india uh, where at that time was the largest part of the british empire to karachi and they wanted to do it as quickly as possible now you could do it by a boat you could do it by a um, plane but you had to do it over short several many drops and hops Whereas this one would, uh, in one refueling land in Egypt, and from there on into Karachi. So, they set about uh, right, uh, having a competition, a civil one and a government one. So, it was meant to be fair, I don't think it was fair, to be fair, obviously, to be fair, to be fair. Um, so, the Air Ministry made their version, the R101. And a private company, Vickers, up in the north, who also made Spitfires and so on. Um, now, I think they made Spitfires. That, I think I'm wrong, sorry. That's um, Supermarine, isn't it? Anyway, because they still made, air, they made air, aircraft and fighting craft and guns and so on. Um, they're up in the north, in their drafty hangar, where, by all accounts... Um, it was constantly wet, it leaked, it was freezing cold, people got sick trying to make these things. They were, and of course, a, so a, it, it, they were in the class of dirigibles. Dirigible is a hard-skinned, um, large air-filled balloon with a, uh, a, a cabin that, or, or something attached underneath to carry the, the, the engines and the pilots and so on and people. Um, now up to this point, They'd been relatively large, but nothing the size of this. So um, the R101 uh, itself was 731 feet long, or 223 meters in length. It was only beaten in length by the uh, L7129 Hindenburg in 1936. That's seven years later. Um, it. They say that you. It. Well, you'll find out in the lyrics of the song if you listen to the song after this. But you could, it was bigger than the Titanic. Now, obviously, we live in a time when we don't really know in our mind how big the Titanic is. And to be honest, there are ocean-going liners now that are bigger than the Titanic. But back then, it was a very large vessel. So you can imagine it. It, 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 um, it stored 5.5 metric, 5.5 million Met a square feet of hydrogen um, in its in its balloons in its major balloon. Um, the balloons themselves were attached were stuck were made out of uh, so inside the shell you have these air sacs which uh, were made of cat uh, cow gut and um, took a rough an estimate of seven thousand cows um, to make the air bladders. <clears throat> For the helium, for the hydrogen, sorry, um, and uh, it, they, they glued them together these sacks. And unfortunately, in the they were often attacked by rats because the rats would go in to eat the animal carcass, which is the skin, the, the bladders. Um, uh, it was a, by all means, a, a very hard um, process to make this over many, many. Uh, months of, of of planning and building, 
Um, in fact, interesting side note, I, I can't remember which, which one, whether it was R100 or R101, but Barnes Wallace was involved in the design, uh, and he, of course, um, built the bouncing bomb, um, that blew the Ruhr Dam, uh, all the dams, um, uh, very again another really interesting um, story, and that we'll cover that in a few weeks' time when Menj and I do the history war a war a war podcast history with music and and war around um, Sabbatan and their love of history and music, um, particularly Second World War or war and music, and one of those will be about the bouncing bomb. Um, so it was it was commissioned by the Admiralty the air arm and built in uh, the well, R101 was built just outside London in North London in um, Carnington near Bedfordshire not far from where I grew up actually in fact they actually did display the airship at the Hendon airfield and I grew up in Hendon anyone listening in London who know where Hendon is it's near the police college I don't think the college is there anymore sadly uh, but that's where I grew up I spent many 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 a year um, uh, wandering around the Hendon aerodrome War Museum, what looking at the planes and and uh, particularly the Lancasters, the Lancaster they've got there. They've also got Churchill's last cigar there, I believe as well. Anyway, it uh, it was an interesting build design because it was it was hampered from the beginning. Um, the little metric to get a balloon to lift as high as that needed with that kind of weight to go that kind of distance and to carry those kind of engines and they were huge diesel engines. Um, and it had, I had, I mean, underneath it had a ballroom that was 5,500 square feet. Um, and I'm sorry, it was 5,509,750 cubic feet of hydrogen. Uh, this is, I wrote that down and I missed that. It even had a smoking room. I mean, can you believe the hubris of people? A smoking room under a balloon full of the most flammable material on the planet. At five million five hundred nine thousand seven hundred fifty-five cubic feet of it, um, it was a asbestos lined, I suppose, so they did some kind of thing. But to get that lift, as I was saying, with this kind of size, it was a um, basically a two-story hotel underneath this balloon. And to get out of Karachi and to come back, um, you had to lift the nose up. It needed eleven million tons of lift. So 11 tons of lift, sorry, um, to get the nose up. So this this they found out later in its um, um, design. And to do that, they had to tack on an extra 43 feet of the nose, add extra airbags in to get the lift. Um, this, I think, was one of its downfalls. And, of course, the longer it took, and the materials it was made of... Um, uh, were starting to rot and to because in there was leaks in the sheds. I mean, this is 1929, you know, so into the 19 into 1930, and so these aren't airtight space station building places. These are just big sheds that they had actually um, recommissioned from previous air balloon um, dirigibles to make it bigger, and so it started to rot. Now, what is a, there was an apocryphal story, sorry, where. The um, they came to give it its airworthy certificate, and uh, the the captain 
sadly, he took the um, he took the guy doing the check into a, a room and he gave him a little bit of fabric and he said, "Fill this." And it was a silver fabric that was wrapped over the steel frame because it's actually um, the R101 had a a steel skin. Ooh, keep knocking the mic. A steel skin, but on top of that steel skin, it also had this sort of fabric coating and the metal, and that had was wearing away like. Um, uh, it didn't have a steel skin, so it had a steel frame, and it was wrapped in this um, uh, fabric that was painted uh, like with, a, uh, with a metal coating, and that metal coating was wearing away and flaking off. And the captain um, showed the 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 the, um, the adjudicator this, and dutifully he refused to give it uh, airworthiness certificate, uh, but because it was uh, a government who the government were doing the certificates. The government turned a blind eye, uh, which we'll find out was later on a much, unfortunately, a terrible thing to do. Yes, so you can see right from the outset they just wanted to win this race. They wanted to be the kings of the air. I mean, you have to remember that at that time, the British Empire was as large as the largest empire on the face of the earth. Three quarters of the globe was British. Was British. Um, and the hubris of Britain and the hubris of a Victorian hangover from the Victorian era um, you can just imagine these you know admirals of the air uh, ministry their big moustaches and their jodhpurs and their um, you know sitting in their boys clubs um, making these ghastly predictions that you know we will run the world and be on the moon and you know, we we have the largest navy and the largest army, and we control route trade routes, and you can see, you can just see it. It's and, and honestly, um, even though I'm British, I'm not proud of the aspect of it. I'm proud that we could rule the seas, but I'm not proud that these sort of things. I mean, it comes hand in hand with slavery and um, the treading treading on those below you. But again, that's a different <laughs> a different podcast, right? Anyway. Um, Yes, so, it, interestingly, here's a really interesting fact. They started filling the balloons with the hydrogen on the, on the 11th of July, 1929. And they didn't finish filling them until the 21st of September that year. That's a long time to fill these balloons with hydrogen, which would have been a dangerous aspect of that alone because it was highly flammable. I would imagine that once it was filled, that's it. You just then um, kept them sealed, filled up with occasional leakage, and just used the diesel engines to, to fly the, the machine. On the 2nd of October, there was a press conference. They were going to take out um, press and 101 government officials, parliamentary officials, but they couldn't get the uh, out of the shed because of the weather. They couldn't get the lift um, out of it. So... They didn't do it. Thank goodness they didn't do that because, as we'll find out, it doesn't end well. Um, by the end of November, though, a, more than a million people had come to see the uh, this miracle of marvel of engineering. Um, this is, the, I mean, these are the same people that built the Alexandra Palace and, you know, um, the Fourth Bridge and so on. Um, by the way, at the same time, up in the north. The 100 is being, you know, worked on quietly by industrious northerners, 
quietly to themselves. Um, yes, and then on the 14th of October, uh, it took a short circuit uh, out uh, where it passed over um, Westminster, the Palace of Westminster and St. Paul's Cathedral for a 40-minute trip. Um, as I said, it was past fit to fly. I mean, I, I'm not going to go into all of the details. I mean, this is a very, very detailed... You can find... I'll put the link in um, to... Uh, at the bottom of my Wikipedia page, so I, where so you can get more if you're really interested, go and have another deep dive because there's some really fascinating things about what they didn't check or what they did check. I mean, they tried to save weight as much as they could for their maiden voyage over to to India, um, but the crew couldn't take suitcases on. They could only take their luggage in paper bags, one change of clothing. Um, um, quite a sad note is that the. Um, the captain, um, he's, he said to his oldest son, and it's on record that he said this, um, is that, uh, please look after your mum and brothers, I won't be back from this. Uh, and that's, because he knew, I mean, he he knew, he'd flown many dirigibles, he knew this, that they they were, they were cutting corners, and they were um, all for the race to win. And again, this is the hubris. Had you not made this a race, had you just said as a governmental thing, we're going to just make this thing, I reckon you would have saved the lives that were lost on that maiden voyage to India. Um, because you wouldn't try and win. You wouldn't want to be that old boys club, like I said. You know, the whole um, Phileas Fogg thing. You know, the cigars and whiskey and brandy and we're the best and we're going to win and I make a wager... And all you're doing is wagering against people's lives, which clearly they did, and their own, because those same ministers took that fateful flight. Okay, I'm just going to go get a cup of tea in a second. I just need to go dry folk because of the, uh, sadly, sorry, because of this COVID, this COVID, and uh, we'll talk about that uh, fateful flight next. Okay, talk to you soon, guys. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for that. I just needed a little drink. Um, so the final departure. Now I'm going to read to you. Um, this is from Wikipedia because I don't want to get this wrong. Um, so it is word from word from Wikipedia. Please, I do do my research. Just that the, um, because of COVID and stuff, I'm a bit. Ugh. But I want to read this because I don't want to. I don't really want. Um, I don't want to give. I don't want to. Anyone to miss out on this information? I also don't. I'll cherry pick it, but I also don't want to get anything wrong. Um, so the R101 R101 departed from Cardington on the evening of the 4th of October 1930 for its intended destination of Karachi via a fueling stop at Ismailia in Egypt, under the command of Flight Lieutenant Lieutenant Carmichael Irwin. He's the one that said to his son, "I won't come back." Um, on that ship, we also had Lord Thomas, Secretary of the Estate of Air, for Air. He was the guy that put the race together. Sir Sefton Branker, Director of Civil Aviation. Squadron Leader William Palstra, RAF Air Liaison Officer. 
to the British Air Ministry, Director of Air Airship Development, Reginald Colmore, and both Lieutenant and both Lieutenant Lieutenant Colonel V C Richmond and Michael Rope. The weather forecast of the morning of the fourth of October is generally favourable favourable predicting south to southwesterly winds of between 10 to 20 and 30 miles per hour. At 2,000 feet over the north of France, the conditions improving over southern France and the Mediterranean Sea, although the midday forecast indicated that some deterioration in the situation was not considered to be alarming, even though enough to cancel the planned voyage. Of course, a course was planned with which the R101 over London, Paris and Toulouse crossing the French coast near Narbonne. Fine rain was beginning to fall when at dusk, with all the crew and passengers aboard R101 ready for departure, under the illuminating spotlights, jettisoning of water ballasts to bring the airship into trim was clearly visible. Squadron leader Booth, the commander of R100, was watching the departure from the tower's observation gallery, and the estimated two tons of me discharged from the nose and a further ton from the midship's ranks. I mean, you can't think, I mean, numbers are unfathomable, that's just water. Anyway, that's ballast, basically. You wonder what ballast is. It just things keeps things down and you know, stable. Trains use it all the time. Um, okay. I'll skip through a little bit here about just travelling through the air. Okay. At 1919, having flown 29 miles or 47 kilometres, but still only 8 miles or 13 kilometres from Cardington, a course was set for London. And at 2001, the R101, by now, over Potter's Bar, for friends who lived in Potter's Bar, uh, made its second report to Cardington, confirming the intention to proceed via London, Paris and Narbonne, but making no mention of the engine problem. So clearly, so I missed that, but there was an engine problem going on uh, earlier on. Sorry, I just I must have skinned past that. I can't imagine it would just be to do something with the diesel engine. Apologise again. Go and have a look into this. Um, making no mention of the By this point, the weather had deteriorated and it was raining heavily. Flying around 800 feet or 240 meters above the ground, the airship passed over Alexandra Palace um, before changing course slightly to the landmark clock tower of the Metropolitan Cattle Market north of Islington. She's sadly not there anymore, I believe. And thence over Shoreditch to cross the Thames in the vicinity of the Isle of Dogs, passing over the Royal Naval College at Greenwich. An update of the meteorological situation was received at 2040. The forecast had deteriorated severely. Southwesterly winds of up to 50 miles per hour, with low cloud and rain being predicted for northern France and similar conditions over central France. This was caused concern on board. In, um, sorry, that this caused concern on board is demonstrated by the request for more detailed information, which was transmitted at 2119, by which time the R101 was near Hawkehurst, um, Kent. It's possible the alternative course was being considered um, across the English coast near Hastings, and at 2140, a transmitted progress report back to Cardington, mentioning that the recovery of rainwater into the ballast tanks was taking place, but again, not reporting the engine problem. You know, getting more warmer to the ballast tanks from the rain, okay. Um, by now, the wind risen to about 44 miles per hour, or 71 kilometers, with strong gusts, but a further meteorological report received shortly afterwards the airship was across the coast and being encouraging about weather conditions south of Paris. The French coast was crossed at the point of uh, at the point de Sequinine, and I'm sorry if French listeners if I said that wrong, I don't mean to be um, disrespectful. My French is very bad. I did three years of French, and I can say oui, oui, oh, 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 camembert. Um, anyway, that's very offensive, and I've probably lost all my French listeners. But anyway, 
I didn't mean that. I'm just I'm not well. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, at the east of, <coughs> pardon me, a new course was set to bring the R101 over Ula, based on an estimated wind direction of 245 degrees and speed of 35 miles an hour or 56 kilometers. The intended course would have taken the R101 four miles west of Benvoir, but the estimated wind speed and direction were inaccurate, and a result of which R101's track was to the east of the intended course. The error would have become apparent when about one o'clock in the morning, R101 passed over de Picardie, a distinctive hilltop town that could have been readily distinguishable to negative, negative navigation officer squadron leader E.L. Johnson. At two o'clock, the watch was changed. Second officer Maurice Steff, taking over the command from Irwin, was at this point flying heavily, relying on the dynamic lift um, generated by forward airspeed to maintain altitude estimated by the Board of Inquiry at least 1,000 feet or 300 meters above the ground. And at about 2.07, the R101 went into a dive from which it slowly recovered, probably losing around 450 feet. As it did so, Rigger S. Church, who was returning to the crew quarters to come off duty, was sent forward to, uh, to realize the forward engine ballast bags, which were locally controlled. So it was sent forward to release the forward engine ballast bags which were locally, contro were locally controlled. This first dive was steep enough to cause A.H. Leach, the foreman engine engineer from Cardington, to be thrown from his seat in his smoking room. What's this smoking room there? What's it say to you really? Um, so, to be thrown from his seat, um, to wake Chief Electrician Arthur Disley from his dozing in the switch room next to the chart cabin. As the airship recovered, Disley was aroused by Chief Coxswain GWH Hunt, who then went to the crew quarters calling out, we're down lads, in a warning at this happened. As this happened, the airship went into a second dive and the order and orders to reduce speed slow to, to slow 450 miles per hour were received in the engine cars. Before engineer AJ Cook on duty in the left hand midship's engine car could respond, the airship hit the ground at the edge of the wood outside Allon. A double L O N E double N E, sorry guys. Um, two point one five miles or four kilometers southwest of Beauvoir and immediately caught fire. The reason for the order to reduce speed is a matter of conjecture, because this would have caused the airship to lose dynamic lift, adopt a nose downward attitude out, altitude. The subsequent inquiry estimated the impact of speed was thirteen miles an hour. Now I can run faster than that. Well I have in the past. Um it's about four kilometers or just so for an hour. It's not very fast. But if you imagine a ship of that size with 5.7 million tons, cubic feet of a highly explosive, um, highly flammable hydrogen above you, um, it doesn't take a lot to, to your imagination to see that 13 miles an hour is, is still deadly. Uh, with the airship between 15 and 25 degrees at nose down. So that's pretty steeped. 46 of the 54 passengers and crew were killed immediately. It's going to take a moment there. I feel really sad about that. Sorry guys. Might be the COVID, I don't know. It's just brought a bit of a tear to my eye. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Church and Rigger W.G. Radcliffe survived the crash but later died in hospital in Beauvoir, bringing the turtle dead to 48. Now there was inquiries, of course, 
Um, why did they slow the speed down? Why weren't they checked? Why was the route not changed? Um, what was going on with the engines? Um, this is... Um, to me, this is the... This is a, a, a classic example, um, guys, of... I've said it before, I've said it before again, the hubris of man. The ability to think that they can um, fight nature, but make better nature. Of course, now we sit back with our smartphones that have more power than, than we put a man on the moon. Um, and in our you know, three-story behemoths that fly through the sky. But we've had almost a hundred years of technological advance, uh, advancement in that time. This is the early days of in, of, of flight, um, and it's you know, it's 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 the want for man to make the world as small as it can fit in the palm of his hand, as my dad would often say. Um, you know, to shrink the world and control it. Uh, you know, it's like me. I like it's like I equate some. I mean, sounds a silly thing here, an old person thing, but gardening. Like I love really straight lines in gardening. I like Japanese cult, um, horticulture, and I like square um, privets. I like to control nature when I'm in my garden. Whereas my wife likes it wild and free, right? And to be to be part of nature and to just run with it. Now that's exactly what this is about. It's about controlling isn't it? But at that same time, if I trim a hedge into a square box, I don't kill anyone. But if I take 48 people up into, let's be honest, an extremely dangerous situation that most people knew we weren't going to come back from, um, and try, you know, without even the ability to to save them, I mean, there was no way they could save it. I mean, even if they did, there was no parachutes, by the way, too much weight, and even if they did jump out at that speed, you're going to die hitting the ground at that height. And you probably wouldn't get away from the fireball when it hit. Um, you know, the R100 went on to fly to America, and it would have kept flying, but because of the R101 and its tragedy, they grounded all of it. Uh, the well, You can understand. They grounded it um, to the loss of equivalent of multiple millions probably even hundreds of millions of pounds of um of, a, of, of, of work and man hours and it would have worked because i think the r100 um was not trying to be brash and bold and it was it was thought about and 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 checked and thoroughly looked at um whereas the 101 wanted to just be <coughs> the king of the skies um Anyway, so guys, let, let's let's um, let's take a second just to think about these people because they are forgotten, and you wouldn't have thought about this unless you're into this sort of thing. Why would you think about those 48 people? Let's be honest. Apart from the memorial that's near Beauvoir in France, I don't know if I've spelled that wrong or even I've said it correctly. Um, they're forgotten, aren't they? Even by their families. And this is almost 100 years ago, 98 years ago. So would it not? be thought that even their families would forgot. There's probably people listening to this podcast who are related to one of those 48 people who had no idea that they were took part in one of the in one of the greatest air disasters of all time. Um, and it's not 
I mean, more people have died. Don't get me wrong. I mean, of course, more people have died in things like 9/11 and in you know major air aircraft crashes with hundreds of people. But the reason that this one, I think, for me, is one of the greatest is because it was one of the most. Is it was it was for it was seen. It was foreseen. People it was foreseen. Okay. There were reasons not to fly. Was you know, 9/11. That was just man's inability to be, uh, ability to be monstrous. Whereas you know, other aircrafts crashes are small accidents that happen, that are overseen. Whereas this was people. We turned a blind eye. They turned a blind eye. Um, in the race to be king of the air and to win that, whatever money. Um, was up for that that I th- and I didn't know if there was a, a wager bet but I think there was sorry again I'm not feeling well so I haven't done that bit of research I've been very digging deep into it um, but yeah uh, it's a very important it's a very sad crash very sad story but what we're going to do sorry that's taking up the whole episode normally I try and get this all things in half an hour 40 minutes this is going to be a much longer episode guys I hope you do enjoy I've really enjoyed the time off that I could, at home that I could do this research and um, you know yes I stole a bit from Wikipedia but that was only because I don't want to do just justice to those 48 people and say something wrong and get it you know I mean I may have misquoted here and there um, before but this is where I want to be correct um, so I'm going to go and put the kettle on um, gargle some salt water maybe a bit of lemon in my tea um, uh, take some Panadol, and I will be back with my take on Iron Maiden's thoughts and musical musings on the R101. It's 18 minute long epic, uh, penned mainly by Bruce Dickinson. Uh, yes, it's everything that we've always wanted in a Maiden song and more. It's more than 12 minutes, it's beautifully progressive. And it's Iron Maiden. Anyway, I don't wanna I don't wanna go into that till the second half. So I will see you after the break, guys. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back, guys. Um, and now, this our second part of the sh- of the program is now around basically around the uh, the song, as we said in the middle at the beginning of the show, uh, "Empire of the Clouds" from the 2016 album uh, by Iron Maiden, uh, "Book of Souls." This was uh, now their second, their longest song um, outside of Power Slaves' uh, <clears throat> "Rome of the Ancient Mariner," and it was originally written. By Bruce Dickinson, uh, the music itself, or the idea, was originally about the First World War fighter pilots. Um, but because he'd already written uh, another hour song on the same album called Death or Glory, um, he wanted to change it. The reason he changed it, he was reading a book, uh, a sort of big encyclopedic tome on the crash report for the R101, and thought, well, it's a very poignant story. And he had books called Ride the Storm as well. Um, so you can get Empire of the Clouds from there. Uh, he sort of um, he composed it mainly on his uh, on the on uh, tour as they always do, and he recorded it at Guillermo Tell Studios in Paris. It was um, produced by Kevin Shirley, the great South African uh, heavy metal producer and heavy rock producer Kevin Shirley. Um, and the intro, which is very interesting. Uh, was one of the f- only, I think one of the only Iron Maiden songs that it does intro with a piano is played in the Steinway uh, by Bruce Dickinson himself. He writes the piano intro um, to that one. Um, according to Adrian Smith, uh, Dickinson was working on it for about a month on his own in a soundproof booth just to get the um, piano piece right. I mean, he's, I mean, Dickinson can play a bit of guitar. He can play a bit of piano now, obviously, but he's naturally not a physical musician he's a wonderful vocalist and a singer but not with an instrument as such and that's always you know he probably um, wanted to be, do his best not look embarrass himself in front of the best you know one of the greatest bands in in the world um, uh, and the fans are very 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 um, funny about that kind of thing all right um, it was a challenge according to Adrian um, because there was so many Pierre pieces to the song it's 18 minutes long the piano track it's just produced by Kevin um, Nico experimented with a variety of, uh, of percussive instruments including a, a bowed gong to recreate the airship's crash see the, you know I'll stop there for a second this look, <clears throat> this is what's wonderful about um, 
I'm gonna sn I'm not gonna sneeze. It's what's wonderful about Maiden and their wholehearted um, love and uh, unashamed um, adoration for progressive rock music. You know, on this podcast by now, how much I love progressive rock music, um, and just the fact that they could go out there. And I know that when you've got over, you know, you know, you're selling 150 million copies of records, and you've you've done, you've been going for 40 years. You have the right to do what you want musically. But it doesn't mean that you will always do it because there's a bit of you in your mind, a little bit of your account in your mind goes, is that wise, Bruce? Will it sell many records? Because at the end of the day, they are businessmen as well. But I think because they have the freedom to be musically um, unabashed is the right word, I think they can do what they want. And 18 minutes um, for any musical rock band even even the the big prog bands of the 70s like yes and elp and van der graaf generator and crimson and you know floyd and i might put floyd in the progressive area there i know that people know i don't think they're really progressive but i put it in there anyway they they it's difficult to write pieces of music um fluently and uh, narratively um to be able to play live uh, now I know a lot of these bands never played a lot of their stuff live, um, but Maiden does a you know it has a thing where it likes to play as much live pop music as it can, and so it was really a challenge for them. I think it's really a beautiful piece of music. Um, yeah, it, on the 11th of March, the band announced that the song would be released as a 12-inch picture disc for Record Store Day, and yes, as I said before, I queued up, and yes, some pillock in front of me got one. Just like the year after when I wanted the Pistols pink vinyl. I mean, unfortunately, I won't be at Record Store Day this year because I'll be away on holiday. But um, if you do go to do Record Store Day, uh, I highly recommend you do. It's a bit of a free-for-all sometimes with these one-off pieces. Uh, anyway, that is what it is. Um, now, look, it got, it got critical acclaim. Um, people thought it was a masterpiece. I think I personally think it's. See, people say it's as spellbinding as a 1984's *Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner*. Stop, people, right there. Oh, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to ask you to put the pen down, or stop your phone, or listen to music. Right there, nothing is as spellbinding as *Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner*. Um, nothing. Sorry, Matt, my good friend, Matt. Matty will tell you the same thing. There is only one Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yes, Death of the Celts of the last album. And yes, um, Empire of the Clouds. Wonderful, beautiful, delicious, thick, unctuous, chewable music. Stuff you can get your teeth around and your gums on and your lips on. And then you can just be with it for 18 minutes. It's, there is not many things in life that you can quite quietly be on your own for 18 minutes unfettered and get that much pleasure out now for you dirty minded people out there um, of course there is other things but about you but 18 minutes hold on no chance anyway <laughs> sorry I'm not well must be the medication look um, as I said, it said spellbinding. Yeah, no, I, I think it's wonderful. But it, I have played Rhyme with Ancient Mariner more times than I could possibly even remember. 
I've played Empire of the Clouds maybe 30, 40 times in the in the four years that it's been five years since it was released. Um, look, it's it does take you away on a lovely um, on a lovely balance. It's got. Like I, I'm gonna read you the lyrics, okay? And it's typically Bruce because Bruce is a beautiful lyricist, okay? Um, to ride the storm to an empire of the clouds. To ride the storm, they climbed above their silver ghost. To ride the storm to a kingdom that will come. To ride the storm and damn the rest oblivion. It's beautiful, and the way he spits out and damn the rest oblivion. It's just well, something like David Bowie then. Um, <clears throat> no. And let me tell you a story. I, sorry, side. I almost went to David Bowie's uh, wedding reception. I was in a hotel in New York, 1980 something. And my girlfriend at the time, I got tickets to see, and I'm going to say this with gritted teeth, Beauty and the Beast. We'd just seen A Streetcar Named Desire with um, Alec Baldwin, and also named from Splash, Daryl Hannah, and. Um, and then we went to go and see Beauty and the Beast. Now we're coming down to the, the reception at the um, at the uh, St. Moritz on the park. And this English guy in the lift says to me, Hey, you, I mean, I'm going to say limeys. He probably didn't say limeys. In my head, I think he did. He's in a tux and he's like, Hey, you limeys. We're going to go to an Englishman's wedding reception on the top floor. You might like some English, you know, some of his own countrymen. And I went, No, no, we're going fitter. And as we came out the lift, in comes, as I'm telling you now, he comes through the doors with Iman, and he walks up to him like that guy he was talking to, and he's something like, it's something like David goes, Roger, see you at the party, whatever. Uh, no, David Bowie, have an American accent, but I'm not doing David Bowie. Um, see you at the party. Anyway, he, um, off he went. And uh, it was too late. I turned around to my then girlfriend, and I was like, what do we do now? She's like, we can't, we can't, it's too embarrassing, we've declined it. So off we went. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sidetrack. Um, it's you know it's not as lyrically full for a twenty almost eighteen minute song as you think it would be. There's lots of space for Dave and Adrian and Steve and Nico to oh and um, and and um, Yannick to stretch their wings and stretch their legs and and have a nice gallop. Um, it does musically emote the feeling of being in the clouds it does especially the opening piano refrain it does have that yearn of the 30s it also has that bombast as i said before in the first part about you know the 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 power of the uh, of man against nature and the the pompousness of of government and, and 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 the pompousness of empire um and you know it really does make it when it says Empire of the Clouds. It it, it does really come across that way uh, when you read the story of the R101 and the R100. Um, you know, in the gathering gloom, a storm rising in the west, the coxswain stared in, into the mist. We must go now. We must take our chance with fate. We must go now for the polit politicians. He cannot be late. All right. So that sort of straining of we've got to go. We we can't. We can't no, wait. We can't wait for tests. We have to go now. We have to go now. 
See, never, she never flew at full speed, a trial never done, a fragile outer cover her Achilles would be, would become. As we told you before, so the outer cover, um, because of the extensions, and then when it went to land, uh, as it went to crash, it had nothing to protect itself because it was fragile. The gas bags went hit uh, pretty quickly, and, and, and a spark off the metal frame into the bags, and bang, you know, off you go. Feeling the wind as it blows you, feeling the, the beams as they pass you along, watching the channel below you lower and lower into the night. I mean, that's, and of course, it, this what this song does um, sometimes, like a lot of the latter day maiden um, uh, lyrics um, with Bruce, it tends to he tends to out gun his vocals with the words he writes you know what I mean he's galloping too fast in his head with the writing uh, and I know he just come back from cancer so throat cancer so I'm not going to put that out there and say that that was a reason but he has for some time um, had moments where he can't keep up with the speed that he used to sing at um, and, but still wants to and, and I think with Empire of the Clouds you get that sometimes in the middle eight of the, of the song and um, but, you know, as I said, plenty of room, plenty of space to stretch out, plenty of atmosphere. So if you really are keen on a little bit of history in your music, um, happy to sit back and not want to just be three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, um, and take yourself on a journey. I mean, I highly recommend good noise-cancelling headphones on vinyl if you've got it. Um, if not, you know on streaming or CD uh, quietly to self in a darkened place it's not a place for it's not a song for taking you out on a track you know running or or be on the bus sometimes or anywhere the distractions it's sort of like any good art it, you know like if you go and sit in a gallery and I used to do a lot when I was at art college you'd sit in front of great paintings and you needed no noise and it's the reason why galleries are quiet why libraries are quiet it's so that you can push away the extraneation, extraneable noise, um, any, any circumstances outside of your life and be with the piece of art that's there. And this is a um, good example of that. Now, um, I am pushing to 50 minutes on this show this week. Uh, I think we've had more time to do it, which is great. Um, I hope I haven't bored you. Um, I hope it, it excited your um, history, interest in some, you know, unforgotten histories. And I'd, I'd really... If you go and there's some brilliant podcasts out there and websites about forgotten history, particularly the the pre-war because it's all lost post '39, isn't it? Um, and all we, all we all we then hear is Nazis, Russians, Allies, you know, and things like that. So it's good to do stuff between the wars, um, as Bill, as Billy Bragg would say. Um, so uh, just. Have a look at that and, and see what you think. Anyway, I'll put a link in the description for the Wikipedia page that I sort of I, I butchered by reading through. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sort of struggling a bit here, as you can tell. Nasally, I'm sorry. Oh, that wasn't very nice. Sorry if you heard me sniffing. I'm not... Ooh. Anyway, it is what it is. It's the modern world. This will date the episode, won't it? <laughs> won't it? I hope so, anyway. hope that this crap is gone very soon. If you do catch it... Um, be safe, take lots of water, drink lots of water, lots of Panadol, lots of rest. I mean, your family and friends be safe. Anyway, enjoy Empire of the Clouds. Let me know what you think. 
Um, and uh, let's hope when the new Maiden album that comes out after the next one has an even longer final song on it with even more of us uh, delicious information for us to learn and to enjoy and to make us think. Um, that's me for this week. I'm going to go and gargle my throat now again. Uh, anyway, hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you soon and uh, keep safe, everybody. Okay, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.